On today's episode of Locked On Sox, we open up the mailbag. You are Locked On White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Sox. I'm Sean Anderson. I'm the host of Locked On Sox. On today's episode, we'll be opening up your voice messages. If you're checking me out for the first time, thank you. And thank you to all of those people who make Locked On Sox your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms like Twitter and Instagram. You can check us out at Locked On Sox and you can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Let's open up the mailbag. Hey, Chris and Herb. Just wanted to thank you both for all that you've done and let you know that you'll be missed. Um, thanks again. Uh, much appreciated. That might be Mark in Litchfield. Maybe Litchfield Park. I'm not sure. I think it's Litchfield. For some reason, somewhere in the ether, my body is telling me that it's Mark in Litchfield. So, Mark, hello. Um, I, I am new to being the podcast host, and I know that this was left before I, I was made as the announcement. But if you're going to call in to 312 566 8727. Please remember to reintroduce yourself because I'm, I'm still getting to learn everybody. But as a longtime listener, only second day as host, but as a longtime listener to Lock on Socks, I'm pretty sure that is Mark in Litchfield Park. And, and he's always very succinct with his points and he's spot on here. Tanny and Herb will be missed. And I, I think the more and more Tanny and Herb love I see, uh, the more and more I'm going to show it because I'm very grateful for the opportunity that they've given me here. And I'm very grateful that you guys appreciate them. I think they, t- I know the work that they put into this and they, they put a ton of work to build up this platform and to make it the most entertaining show for you that they can make. And I think they did a fantastic job. And I'm really glad that there's still voicemails in here that are, that are thanking Tanny and Herb. Next on Locked on Sox, we will get into some off-season plans from me. Someone's asking me if I can play second base. I don't know if I can do that, but I can find some options for us next on Locked on Sox. BetOnline has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows in all one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. We are back here on Lockdown Socks. Thank you for making Lockdown Socks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. I'm Sean Anderson. We are currently going through our voice mailbag, and up next, we got the 708. Welcome to the Lockdown Sox universe, Sean. 
I'm very excited to see where you're going to take this program. Uh, more importantly, I'm curious if you know how to play second base. I think that would be extremely beneficial. Maybe right field, maybe starting pitcher. I don't know. This team doesn't need that much help. I'm pretty sure it was good that we sat on our hands before this lockout, before this lockdown socks out. Looking forward to hearing what you bring to the table. Rock and roll. Rock and roll, 708. Please tell me your name, 708. If you're from the 708, it's it's likely John, Jack, Tom, maybe Matt. You know, very, very Southside name. I think 708 is, is Southside. That's at least my phone number. And to answer your question, I could cover right field. Lefty, I'm a lefty, so I could cover right, left. I could probably not cover center. I'm too slow. First base, maybe, probably a little bit too short at 5'8". Pitching, you know, different arm angles. I can always maybe throw some guys' timing off. I loved playing second base when I was a kid, but again, I was a lefty, and that really wouldn't work out at a major league level. I did think that I could stubbornly play third base as well. I had a pretty decent arm, uh, and that was basically just all stemming from A-Rod being my favorite player, or the number 13 because of him, and um, I also take uh, steroids heavily because of him. Very, very odd. But I I think the biggest notion I want to tackle is the fact that this team is sat on their hands, and the Leury signing might be a sign of that. I don't know if they are doing that. I think they're trying to play their hands the best of their ability. I think if they wanted to make a free agent signing, I think that they did sit on their hands. It's definitely way too late to go out and make a big free agent signing because all those guys are gone. But I'm going to go through second base, right field, and starting pitching, give you some options that are out there that I like that could possibly fill those roles. So first up for second base, I'm going to give two guys I like and then the guy I love. So first off, I really like Jed Lowry. He's a free agent, 37 years old. He's a switch hitter. He was with the Mets from 2019 to 2020. 2019, signs a two-year, $20 million deal, and then plays 35 games, hurts his knee, misses the entire 2020 season. He came back in 2021 with the A's. He was an average hitter when looking at weighted runs created plus. He had pretty bad K to walk splits, 21% Ks to 9.6% walks, but he had a really good batted ball data. He was eighth in fly ball percentages and 19th in ground ball percentages. You know, the kind of narrative after the White Sox season this year was the ground ball rate and the fly ball rate. We needed more balls in the air. Josh Nelson of Sox Machine has preached that point day in and day out, at least through the season he was. And I think that Jed Lowry with a veteran mindset and a kind of possibly new lease on life with the fact that he's able to go through that knee surgery at the age of 35 and come back at age 37 and still perform fairly well. He was under career expectations, but again, he was an average hitter based on the numbers. And honestly, I think his numbers should have been better. He had a 289 BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play. And usually when you see a hard hit percentage above 40, the BABIP is usually above 300. And he was at 289. He had the highest career uh, hard hit percentage uh, of his career. He had the highest hard hit percentage of his career at 45%. And I think with his track record before, and it doesn't show that his physical capabilities are waning, right? If he, if he was hitting the ball less and he, he wasn't driving the ball, I would be afraid. But again, high fly ball percentage, hardest hit percent of his career. I do think that Jed Lowry in the right scenario and with all the f- cards falling in the right way could be a very, very good cheap option for the White Sox. 
I think that your Jed Lowry on this team, though, is supposed to be Leary Garcia. So if all things go wrong, maybe Jed Lowry. Guy number two in free agency that I'd look at, Brad Miller. He's 32 years old. He's a lefty bat. Since 2019, he's batted 236, the 331 on base percentage, a 480 slugging percentage, and a 115 OPS plus. This is a guy that can provide a little bit of pop. 40 home runs since 2019. Again, with the way that the free agent market is just played out and kind of passed by the White Sox, he's pretty similar to Leary. I think that his contract would be cheaper than Leary. Leary right now is making $5.5 million a year. I think Brad would probably be around 4 to $4.5 million per year. And that's due to the positional flexibility that he can bring. In 2021, Brad Miller played 58 games at first base. He played 14 games in right field. 13 games at second base, eight games at third base, and six games in left field. The biggest issue I have with him is his defense, but again, it's a very thin market. The White Sox wanted to sign a free agent. They are probably too late to the party. The guys that you are going to be able to sign, probably outside of the starting pitcher market, are going to be average to below average players. You're not going to get a true needle mover out there with a bat in the free agent market. And Brad Miller, you know, he has his flaws because he's one of those players. Over the past three years at second base, he's had an average outs above average, according to StatCast, but he's only had about 50 attempts over those past three years. So very, very small sample size for something that's not even good. You know, if he had an outs above average at second base over the past three years of maybe like a six or a five uh, and, and, and had such little attempts, then maybe there's something to dig in there. But he's just straight at a zero over the past three years. He's not a guy that I think, especially over a long true season where he's getting 200 plus attempts defensively at second base, I think he'll be a negative, a negative value. There's another option out there, Jonathan VR, but again, he's not good at second base. He's a third baseman right now. And at second base over the past three years, he's been worth a negative six outs above average per stat cast with over 300 attempts. I think the Sox waited too long and it really does look like them filling their hole at second base might just be with Leary Garcia, unless the White Sox want to look at a trade. And I think one guy that is out there and possibly out there available on the trade market would be Gene Segura of the Phillies. He's 31 years old, he's right-handed second baseman, and he has the ability to play third or shortstop. And that would be, you know, Tim needs a blow, Yuan needs a blow, those guys. Why is slang for taking a break called a blow? It sounds British, mate. You know, watch the bike off, take a little bit of a blow. But I think that Gene Segura could be a guy that would slide in very nicely uh, for the White Sox. I don't know how much of an issue or problem this would be, but I think you could sell Tony on him. He does have a pretty positive defensive resume. This team is, right now, and looking at this is from Fielding Bible, they are 28th in defense. The White Sox need to improve their defense if they do want to be a World Series caliber team. And I think that if you add Gene Segura, you're going to add a guy that is above average at second base defensively. Over the past two years, with 580 plus attempts at second base, Gene Segura has an outs above average of 13. And throughout his career, he's always played an above average defense at second base. Plus, with the bat, he ranks eighth since 2020 in weighted runs created plus for a second baseman. I have some minor concerns with Segura, and that mainly stems from his batted ball profile. He was 18th for second baseman in fly ball percentage since 2019, and since 2019, he is fourth in ground ball percentage. So since 2019, 
Gene Segura is 18th in fly ball percentage for second baseman and fourth in ground ball percentage. This was what the White Sox and hurt the White Sox last year was their second baseman. That's why you saw the move of Connor Pilkington going to Cleveland for Cesar Hernandez. And Cesar just kind of shriveled up. He, he didn't he didn't perform to what they traded for. And Segura has performed throughout his career. And Segura is very, very durable. You look at the games played that he's had, the lowest he's played since 2013, excluding the COVID season. He only missed six games of the COVID season, too. 60 in that season. He played 54. The lowest amount of games he's played was in 2017 at 125. So Segura is going to give you a reliable, consistent, healthy, and good glove from second base. I just worry again about that bad at, prof- bad at ball profile. And with him going up in age, does he start losing some of that pop? Do those balls that are fly balls start turning into line drives? Do those line drives start turning into ground balls? And does that fourth in ground ball percentage since 2019 for second baseman continue to go up? That would be my biggest concern with, uh, with with Segura. There's also a no trade clause. He has one, but if he was waiving that, his contract's worth fourteen point eight million dollars for this year. I don't know if the Phillies want to move on from him, but they do have a top prospect in Bryson Stott. He's a shortstop, but he really performed well in 2021, and I do think that he is very very close to being in the majors. So this is where I think the White Sox kind of actually benefit from the lockout. The lockout gave the White Sox time, and what the Phillies need is time to decide whether they're going to move on from Jane Segura and plug in Bryce and Stott. And Stott might be a guy that they wait, and we obviously have to see what's going to happen with the lockout with service time manipulation, but he might be a guy that can prove himself in spring training to be someone worth a starting role, and that would make Segura expendable for the Phillies. And I think the White Sox should definitely examine that option if it does come to fruition this offseason. Next, let's address right field. And I think there's two guys that the White Sox should go after in this free agent market. I think these are probably two of the better bats out there. And I think if you're looking for infield bats, uh, the, the market's very thin. I probably should have said that earlier. Outfield bats, there are still some guys. And I think there's two guys that the White Sox should truly, truly hone in and key in on this offseason. You really do need left-handed balance in this lineup. I understand not everyone believes in that, but I just do think it is it is beneficial, especially with the relief pitching rule now, where you have to face three batters. It is important to have you know those lefty-righty splits. I think it is important. Guys see the ball better typically if you're a left-handed hitter from a right-handed pitcher. If you're a right-handed pitcher, you're going to see it better coming from a left-handed pitcher. It just is. It, you have a better sight line. It's 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 science. And I think guy one that I like is Michael Conforto. And the two guys that I'm picking here, I think that they can massively benefit from playing in White Sox Park. Because for left-handed hitters, the White Sox have the highest park factor since 2019 for home runs at 137. They rank number one in the MLB for left-handed hitters in home run park factor. If you're a left-handed hitter, hitting at guaranteed rate field is huge. Guy number one is Michael Conforto. The Mets ranked 14th in park factor for left-handed home run hitters. Conforto going from City Field to guaranteed rate field could just help his power just by that simple move, by playing 82 games or 81 games at guaranteed rate field instead of playing 81 games at City Field. He can he can add three to four home runs to his total just by that switch alone. And from 2017 to 2018, he is 14th in home runs for outfielder. And you look at the top 20 of that list, the the, the home run leaders from 2017 to 2019, and you look at the list and the names that wouldn't be on there. And some of those guys are because of defensive reasonings, like J.D. Martinez. He no longer plays in the outfield. He's more of a def- uh, 
designated hitter. But you look at the players that are underperforming and still playing in the outfield. One of them's Charlie Blackman. And he's 35 years old, and I think he's declined due to age. You can see Randall Gritchick, just based off home runs, they don't tell the full story. Randall Gritchick hasn't had a season above a .5 war since 2018. And Christian Yelich might be the oddest out of this bunch because he was an MVP, but he also fell off very, very quickly. And you have to wonder, you know, is it issues with the video room? He was a guy that used video a lot um, in in 2019, and there was changes after the Astros scandal uh, to how players could use that. And it didn't seem like in 2021 it was the same as 2019. But also, Christian Yelich was never a guy that was typically, especially coming up, really seen as a guy that was going to hit 44 home runs in a season. So he just might have a power drop off because he had a power drop off. Michael Conforto was a guy that was compared to Bryce Harper and, and Mike Trout uh, early in his career. It's it's not crazy that Michael Conforto can just have a bad 2021. It, it, you know, from 2017 to 2020. He has the ninth most war for any outfield, and I think a sharp decline from him would be odd. He, he has dealt with some injury issues, but I think if you move him to a, a an easier right field to play in, in, in guaranteed rate compared to City Field, and an easier ballpark to hit in, I think Michael Conforto can easily just have some balls that didn't go out last time in, in City Field go out for him in guaranteed rate. With his pedigree and his production from 2017 to 2020, I think it's really odd that a lot of people are thinking that, oh, well, since he had a bad year and a contract year in 2021, that he might not be the right investment. If the White Sox went out and signed Michael Conforto tomorrow, you know, lockout ends tomorrow, and the White Sox announced Michael Conforto is signed with the White Sox, I would be absolutely thrilled. However, he's not my guy. My guy for right field is Kyle Schwarber. In 2021, he played with two teams, the Nationals and the, the Boston Red Sox, and I think most people remember Schwarber's crazy run in Washington where he had 16 home runs in 18 games. And you look at that that stretch of 18 games, 12 of them came at home. And he talked with the Nationals hitting coach and he started hitting off a tee and that kind of leveled out his swing. And, and that's why you saw him really start to turn into the player that I think the Cubs thought he could be. Kyle Schwarber has always had a phenomenal pedigree. He was a top five pick. He was called mini babe for a reason. Yes, it was ridiculous, but he truly has some of the most raw power in the MLB today. And you look at the Nationals, they had the 10th best park factor for home runs at 110. Again, the Sox are at 137. And you think of what Kyle Schwarber did in Nationals Park, it would it might just be amplified more now that he has this technique uh, of, of hitting that he learned from the Nationals hitting coach. And again, that switch from going from ballpark to ballpark, he, lit, he hit less home runs in Boston. I don't think it's mainly because of the, the the stadium. He was on a crazy streak, an unprecedented streak, those 16 home runs in 18 games. But I do think that Kyle Schwarber, especially with his power, could could just destroy right field and guaranteed right field. I, I think that you know the, you look you look at the last left-handed right fielder that the White Sox signed, and they signed Adam Eaton, and it's like you know kind of the polar opposite in, in way of a signing because Eaton was brought on because he'd give you a solid glove in left field and he'd consistently get on base and Schwarber you're you know he, he's not a slouch at getting on base he's improved that skill but you're going truly for that big home run bat and a guy that might have you know might be a nightmare in the outfield just like uh, our good old pal Eloy uh, could be this year in left field but he could also move to DH because I think there's a way that the White Sox could help Andrew Vaughn play right field. I think Andrew Vaughn is 
the most interesting piece of the White Sox this offseason. And I think the biggest question I have of the White Sox is how can they help Andrew Vaughn and how can Andrew Vaughn help himself? I think if Andrew Vaughn lost some weight and became quicker, I think he'd become a better right fielder. But also, I think the White Sox can help them by just shifting in general. The White Sox as a team were ranked last in all of shift percentage. And when Rick Hahn addressed this issue in the offseason, he said that, and this is paraphrasing here, but he noted they were somewhere near the bottom of the league in shift percentage, but he said that their shift effectiveness was top 10. You know, that's great and all, but still, and he kind of copped out by saying, you know, well, what if, you know, we, we shift more and that puts our guys out of position more? And I, I think that is a little bit of, of a cop out here because I think the Sox should be more aggressive. And I think one place they can be more aggressive in their shifting are just shifting for certain players. Like Andrew Vaughn needs that help. I think Tim Anderson needs that help. Tim has great athleticism and he's able to make plays outside of his range due to that athleticism. But also, if he's in a better position, he might be able to make more plays out of position due to his athleticism, or he might just be closer and that might take less of a wear on his body. And I think with Vaughn, you look at StatCast and what StatCast has to say when he was shifted last year, he had 24 attempts in the outfield last year where StatCast denotes him either leaning left or right. And on those balls, he had a success rate of 100%. You know, Vaughn showed that he is very smart. He knows how to play the corners. He knows how to get it in. He knows how to hit a relay man. And I think, too, that with his not ideal athleticism for the out, uh, outfield, you need to shift him more. And, and 24 is just not enough, especially for a young player, especially for a player who's not used to playing left or right field. I think he can get better and improve naturally. And I think he can, again, slim down a little bit and just add some speed. And he's only, I think he weighs in 6'3", 215. And I'm thinking, you know, if he's able to get down to 205, 200, he still might be able to gain a little bit more of speed and not lose that power. Um, I do worry about his back, and I, I hope that's not a, a concern heading into this season. But if Vaughn's able to trim down and 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 get help from his managers and, and help from the coaching staff and help from the front office on shifting and defensive positioning, I think they can really have a, a solid right fielder in Andrew Vaughn. I don't think you need a platoon. And if you do need a platoon, Schwarber isn't going to kill you every game. He might not be the best outfielder, but I don't think he could kill you every single game. But if you really are easy on putting Schwarber out in the outfield, Conforto is the way to go. Conforto for an actual right fielder should be the move for the White Sox. But I think if you want the best player, you get Schwarber. And I think getting the best player is what this team needs to win a World Series. Schwarber will help this team day in and day out, more than Conforto. And I think Vaughn can play an average right field, especially if the White Sox are able to help him with defensive positioning. Finally, we're going to run through the starting pitching, and that's going to be the last thing before we take a quick break here on Locked On Sox. You look at the rotation, you got Giolito, Lynn, Cease, Kopech. Guy number five is still up in the air. Option one, Carlos Rodon. I think it was weird that there was no qualifying offer even extended to Rodon. He could have declined it. I think Boris probably said we're not going to even, you know, I think Boris probably told him they declined the the option because he said later on that they weren't going to sign a one-year deal. They're pursuing a multi-year contract. Still, I, I still think it's weird that the White Sox didn't put one out. I think it's good to get on record or at least have it out there that Rodon was not interested in that that offer, but they didn't put one out to him. And even though he would have declined, the question still sits out there and if you're looking at guys in his war range from last year, guys who above three plus war, 
They've all signed multi-year deals, if they have signed. Not all of them have signed. Kershaw's out there. He's 34 years old, 4.8 war last year. He's still a free agent. Probably the most comparable guy to Rodon right now, just based on war, left-handed pitcher. But the guys that are three-plus war, you know, Gosman, Eduardo Rodriguez, Robbie Ray, they got five years. Max Scherzer, Marcus Stroman, Anthony DiScalfani, they got three years. I think that Rodon's hope for getting a multi-year deal is just going to wane and wane more with the lockout and, and how long that progresses. If, if this lockout takes him into February, that hurts Carlos Rodon's market because there's not a chance to prove like, hey, I, I'm healthy. I've been working out. There's not a chance to be courting teams right now. I mean, he's now stuck at a standstill. And, and I think that's the worst thing for him. It, it's very similar, I think, to Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell in 2019, where they pushed off those deals. They pushed off those deals. They pushed off those deals to a point where, you know, by spring training, Teams just weren't looking for them, and they ended up signing midway through the season. I don't think Rodon's going to want to sign midway through the season. I think he's going to want to get a contract locked down and be able to pitch in 2022. But I do worry about his market, especially with this lockout. I don't think that the the market for Rodon is going to bear what he wants. And I think he's going to have to go, and Boris are going to have to go very creative in the contract they get for him. And I think there's two player models you can follow. Alex Cobb signed a deal with San Francisco. Two years, $18 million, worth a $10 million club option for 2024. Dylan Bundy with the Twins, he signed a one-year $4 million contract with an $11 million club option for 2023. I think that if he's going to sign a deal, he's going to sign a deal with options. And what I think would be fair for Rodon, one year, $19.5 million, with a $3 million incentive for 140 innings pitched. Marcus Stroman has a similar... Clause: If he pitches over 160 innings, he gets two million dollars. I think Boris will probably look for something more hefty, and Rodon really doesn't hit that 140 mark often. And I think this is a way to prove his health. I think also you can throw in a incentive for Cy Young finishes, just with the way that Rodon pitched last year. If that's the same Rodon, and he knows that that's what he can be, and he has a healthy season, I don't think that we would put off Carlos Rodon finishing in the top three of Cy Young voting if he's able to stay healthy. I think if he wins the Cy Young, you could include an incentive for $1.5 million. If he finishes second place, 500000 If he finishes third place in Cy Young, 250000 and I think you could also include another incentive for a $500,000 bonus if he finishes top five uh, in strikeouts. Again, if he really does believe that he's healthy and he can pitch deep into the season, then I think this contract gives you that. It's more than the qualifying offer, but also you're not a player like Justin Verlander who can bust up the qualifying offer after you decline it from 18.4 to $25 million. Justin Verlander, when healthy, has already proven that he can be a Cy Young, that he can be an MVP, that he can be the ace of a World Series staff. Carlos Rodon had a very, very good 2021, but outside of the potential that he had coming into the league and you know, outside of some great strikeout numbers throughout his career, he doesn't have a lot to go off of, and I think that's the biggest thing that hurts him. He should have signed a deal before the lockout happened, and I, th- I think that he might not be getting that multi-year deal because he waited. Option number two Dallas Keuchel, I'd love to trade Keuchel, and I especially would like to get him off the team before he pitches 158 innings. If he pitches 158 innings in 2022, his option for 2023 gets picked up for $20 million. I don't think that is good for the Sox. However, I think they're in a good spot due to lockout. If the CBT, the competitive balance tax, is taken out and a salary floor is put in, teams' payrolls will be forced to go up, 
And if that happens, Keuchel's trade value goes up because he's a guy that the Sox want to trade and he's going to be a guy with a big contract that will just fill a payroll if teams need that. So, you know, the Sox might have done a good job waiting to hold off on on addressing this fifth starter option. I think there's probably about like four teams that Keiko could be good for. If the Cubs want uh, you know more starting pitcher, they love ground ball pitchers. Keiko is fifth uh, in all of baseball since 2018 in ground ball percentage. But you know there's also the salary dump if the CBT is taken out. There's 14 teams under 100 million dollars. That was the proposed cap floor back in August. The Guardians, Orioles, Pirates are all below 35 million dollars. They need major help getting to that 100 million dollar payroll floor if that was implemented. And the Marlins, they're at 27th with a $55 million payroll. Arizona's at 26 with a $66 million payroll, right? Even the teams that are just above that, you know, Guardians, Orioles, Pirates level of $35 million, you know, adding Keuchel to the Guardians, Orioles, Orioles, and Pirates only gets them up to, say, the Marlins, who are at 27th in payroll at $55 million. So I think that Keuchel as a salary dump would probably benefit this team the most. And I would really like to see them make that move because I don't want to see Dallas Keuchel as our fifth option. And finally, the third option would be Aaron Nola per Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia. Will the Phillies shop Aaron Nola for trade this winter? This is a question that has been quietly percolated around the baseball industry since Nola completed a disappointing season in 2021. If this is true, I think the White Sox should go after Aaron Nola. He had a 4.63 ERA in 2021, but you look at his fielding independent pitching, and it was a 3.37. So they're expecting, or the idea is that his ERA would be anywhere from 3.50 to about 3.25 with an average fielding team. And this reflects because Fielding Bible had the Phillies as the worst defensive team uh, in 2021. The Sox were 28th, so you know shifting Nola over to the south side might not help him because of defense, but he is a guy that has great strikeout stuff, 7th in K per 9 since 2019, $15 million for Nola in 2022, he's got a club option for 2023 and 16, for $16 million, this could plug up a, a rotation hole for the next two years, and that's what the Sox need. You know, there's not a pipeline coming up. Jared Kelly is not going to be ready anytime soon. Uh, Matthew Thomas is not going to be ready anytime soon. Norhe Vera isn't going to be ready anytime soon. I could see a deal of Berger, Jared Kelly, Jose Rodriguez plus. You know, maybe there's no secure deal if that happens. Maybe Kimbrel's package. But I also think that if you trade Craig Kimbrel for prospects on his own, you can then just add that to a deal for Aaron Nola. I think the Sox, if they wanted to be really, really, really aggressive, Aaron Nola would make them immediate contenders in, in my mind. And a deal you can look to was the Jose Barrios deal from the trade deadline this year. But even then, you look at the prospects the Blues Jays gave up and Austin Martin and Simon Wood Richardson, those guys are you know top 10, and I think they were both top 100 uh, in the MLB prospects. And, and the White Sox just do not have players of that level right now. I'm not upset if Ronaldo Lopez gets some uh, gets some starts in 2022, but I think overall, if you're looking at a rotation, again, that's very similar to next year, like Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, D- Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, and Carlos Rodon, I think this team is 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 in a great spot. If you add, you know, take out Rodon and put in Nola, I think this team is in a great spot. If Keuchel is that guy number five, this team is screwed. If they make an upgrade in between Rodon and Keuchel, Rodon and Nola in between Keuchel, you know, it it is an upgrade. And I think that's what we have to be happy about. 
Next on Locked on Socks, more voicemails. Back here on Locked on Socks, and we have one final voicemail left. Hello, it's Tony Taylor Hill. I just wanted to say that the first episode was outstanding. Sean, I grew up in Oakland as well. We probably know a lot of the same people. And I got to say, you're perfect for this show. And don't feel so bad about being a Cubs fan so early. Because although I only remember being a White Sox fan, my diehard Cubs fan uncle showed me a photo of him and I, and I was wearing a Cubs hat. It hurt so deep, but it made me laugh. Southside, absolutely. Looking forward to what you bring to the show, and I love the White Sox therapy. Go Sox, go Sean Anderson, go Lockdown Sox. Thank you, Tony and Payless Heights. Go Tony. Uh, Tony saying go Sean. Go Tony. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge Tony guy, right? You got Tony's The Supermarket. You have Tony Soprano. I'm on uh, season four, episode three of The Sopranos. I just watched the Christopher Columbus Day episode. That one was, uh, that one doesn't, you know, age well. Uh, pretty rough stuff from uh, season four, episode three of The Sopranos, but. You know, everybody loves that show, so I still got to keep pushing through it. Um, and he mentioned that he had a picture of him and his uncle uh, with him wearing a sock, uh, Cubs hat. And I have a picture of me at my, my seventh birthday party with me and Cubs regalia. So it's it's not all bad. You know, we all have our demons. And Tony and I, you know, we have very similar demons. He likes White Sox therapy. And if you like White Sox therapy, call in 312-566-8727. You can write in at LockdownSocks at gmail.com. This is Locked on Socks. After all, your first listen every day. Tomorrow, we will go through the 2021 White Sox season, and I will tell you what needs to change in 2022 for the White Sox to be World Series contenders. That, of course, is if no breaking news breaks. If something breaks, I will come and tell you about it, and I will try to fill you in like Locked on Socks should. Now make your second listen, Lockdown Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Lockdown Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Lockdown Socks.